welcome to Deeper, a podcast of the Wollongong Baptist Church. Our podcast follows the Sunday sermon and aims to help our congregations go deeper into God's Word. Welcome everyone to Deeper. As we look at chapters 19 to 24 of Luke's Gospel in our series titled Behold Your King. My name is Clayton Ryan, and this week I'll be discussing chapter 20, verse 41, to chapter 21, verse 4, with Rod Bailey. Welcome back, Rod. I've stamped your frequent podcaster card, and one more and you get a free cuppa. Oh, look, I'm up for, always for a free cuppa. We get a good one here at Mike's, and um, yeah, I think that's a good deal. I'll take it. Yeah, excellent. All right, it should be pretty soon, I assume, next week, maybe. We'll see how it goes. Yeah. <laughs> Now, can you please give us a quick recap of your sermon on Sunday? Let's get straight into it to help us have the sermon context in mind before we start digging deeper. Yeah, sure. Uh, now, my big question was, how should we live uh, or how should we respond to Jesus the King? And I had three points that worked through the sort of three paragraphs that were in our section that we're considering. So the first one, by realizing he is the divine king who will judge. And secondly, by living in the light of his word, and then thirdly, by making sure the king has our heart. Yeah, great. Now, your introduction about Hitler calling in the church leaders to give them, I guess, a little bit of a serving or a reprimand um, reminded me of stories from friends when we were in the Czech Republic, when they used to tell us what it was like being Christians um, under Soviet communism. And although not technically allowed, their attendance at church was tolerated, uh, but regularly, the Communist Party would send a spy in to see if anything was being said um, against the regime. Now, these spies would say they were Christians, uh, they're followers of Jesus and all of that. The words they say would all be right. But almost instantly, everyone would know without a shadow of a doubt that they were a spy and they'd know by their behavior. They were arrogant. They were really too keen to be saying all the right things, and it was obvious that they were all show. Yes, well, I mean, this is a big theme in Scripture, uh, mm. including in this passage. Mm. And, you know, the emptiness of the outward show versus the genuine inward change of a person who's really mm. come to put their trust in Jesus is a yeah, recurring idea throughout Scripture. And like you say, sometimes it can be evidenced in people's mm. outward behavior. There's a missing... Uh, humility, uh, there yeah. might be other things that stand out. But at times we can be confused because it can be hard to read. Um, people mm. can uh, present themselves very well. They, ha they have all the right words. Mm. But I guess our assurance is that God sees the heart of a person yeah. and he knows whether we're you know, seriously seeking to respond to him, to serve him, mm. or whether we're just looking for acceptance from people you know, and their praise. And yeah. So, yeah, we've got to be careful. Sometimes we're not quite as discerning as we think we are, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but God always is. Yeah. So. Now, in your introduction, I think you really set the scene against the religious leaders. The Pharisees were not only tasked by God to lead their people, but I guess they were also expected by the people uh, to be leading them in a right way. Whereas the German pastors, um, in opposition to a growing tyrant, recognize their task from God to lead well trumped even someone as powerful as Hitler. 
Yes, well, there's a huge responsibility for leaders in the church, and you know, false leaders should rightly be uh, criticised and opposed because they're going to lead people astray. Mm. And it's for that reason that um, James, for example, writes in James three verse one: "Not many of you should become teachers, because you mm. know that we will be judged more strictly or harshly." And, and so it's a yeah, it's something that people need to take on board if they're going to consider leadership. It's something that uh, those within a congregation at a church, um, mm. not that we should always be sitting in judgment on everyone around us trying to work out uh, whether they meet a certain standard, but we, we need to be discerning and we need to have an ear to mm. um, either heresy in terms of teaching, but also a lack of uh, behavior that actually matches with the teaching that the person's offering. Yeah. But I was thinking after, during that introduction, like imagine the courage it would take for a pastor to stand up to someone like Hitler. I mean, even early on, like before you realized how much of a tyrant he was, he was clearly an incredibly charismatic and gifted speaker and, mm. yeah, leader. Well, that's yeah. right. Standing for the truth always takes courage, I think. Mm. Um, so often we're in positions where it's much safer or easier, um, mm. less, you know, difficult to just remain quiet. Yeah. Um, but God always calls us to hold to the truth and to, mm. you know, oppose um, things that are wrong, and, and we need to do that in God's church in particular. Yeah. Now, we're four weeks into our new series, and is this yet another sermon about the authority of Jesus? I mean, don't you think Luke has already stated his case, like, clearly enough in the preceding passages? Yeah, well, it's um, in one sense, we have broken up a large section where there is this mm. big theme of authority. You know, the whole of chapter 20 um, and, and in some ways the end of chapter 19 have mm. this big theme. And so we've perhaps somewhat artificially broken it up and you might have had one giant sermon. Yeah. But there's so much information in this section and there are subtle shifts. And I think mm. particularly in this week's passage, there was a shift from not just establishing that Jesus is the king and has authority, but now what it looks like to respond to him rightly. Mm. Um, hence my big question for this week. Because he doesn't just um, say, well, this is how things are. Uh, the first part with Psalm 110 is perhaps sort of the ultimate sort of mm. nail in the coffin about who he is versus yeah. how the religious leaders are perceiving him. Mm. But the two sections that follow, he's really addressing the disciples. So when he speaks about the teachers of the law and their failings, he's addressing the mm. disciples and more broadly the crowd that's listening in. Yeah. And then in the final section with the widow at the temple, again, it's with his disciples and he's pointing things out to them. Mm. So I take it from this that um, we're not just to see Jesus' authority this time, but he's now applying it to the hearts of his disciples and saying, yeah. okay, well, if this is true... How is it that you should respond to God's word, hmm. which is, in essence, responding to Christ, who is the word in flesh? Yeah. And I think that's a good little tip for how we read, particularly the Gospels, where the authors like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they really go to great effort to put in like movements or who they're speaking to or where they're speaking. And they're there for a reason. It's not just historical thing, but he's addressing different people at different times in different ways. That's right. Yeah. You know, context is always key in Scripture, and so mm. we need to look at all those little hints for us. Um, yeah, change of setting, change mm. of uh, audience, it's important as we try and reflect and apply it. Yeah. Now, you mentioned uh, just then Psalm 110, uh, one of the Messianic Psalms. This psalm alludes, alludes back to Joshua 10, which you mentioned in your sermon, and the terrifying picture really of enemies of the king becoming footstools um, right before their execution. 
And then the psalm goes on to say those so-called religious leaders will be judged uh, most, not the psalm, sorry, in the passage in Luke, goes on to say how these religious leaders are going to be judged most severely. It's an alarming warning, I think, for all who become ministers of God's word. Um, What do you think such leaders might look like today, these ones Jesus is warning against? Are there telltale signs that we should be aware of? Yeah, well, I'm sure like there have been large books written on this topic yes. and um, you know, there's a lot that might be said. But if we were just to go from the passage that we've been reflecting on from Sunday, mm-hmm. you know, when Jesus addresses his disciples about these teachers of the law and their failings, you know, even there he's highlighting some key features mm-hmm. uh, that are worth reflecting on. And he really seemed to be pointing to their pride because their concern is for their status mm-hmm. and, and how they're received and um, praised by people around them. So I guess if you see somebody whose focus is always on such things, hmm. then that um, is a red flag potentially. Yeah. Um, but there's a there's a counter side to that um, in that while they're focused on that, they're not focused on what they should be. And so perhaps Jesus' harshest word in this little section is about uh, the teachers of the law devouring the houses of widows. Hmm. And so you know there's so much emphasis in the Old Testament hmm. about God's concern for those on the margins, the orphan, the widow the foreigner and so in this case you know that is a a huge failing because they seem to be all about their own glory and self-importance and even their own wealth um, but they're not caring for those that god you know sees as a great concern those that are defenseless Hmm. so i think that's another indicator if somebody is not concerned for the least um then there's a problem there because that should be their heart because that's god's heart yeah yeah, I was listening to a podcast uh, just this morning about pastors and how do you like look after those who don't, aren't coming to church. And they were saying there seems to be a thing creeping into the church now that it's like, well, I've got the 99. I need to look after the 99 and not worry about the one. And they say, but Scripture's really clear. We need to look after, go and look for the one, um, not exactly. just be satisfied with the 99. That's right, yeah. And I think if there's a, a lack of that concern within a church community, then mm. something is, is missing. Yeah, um, yeah it, can, it can be easy to move with the movers, as some people will say, or yeah. Yeah. you know, concentrate on those that are going to do this or that or can contribute to the life of the church in some large way or up front. Um, but to give priority to such people and to overlook or not uh, provide the pastoral care that we should for those in most need, mm. then we're really not reflecting uh, Christ's heart. If in the end, you know, Jesus can summarize 613 Old Testament laws, which address everything under the sun, and he can say, well, you can boil that down to love God with all your heart and mind and soul and love your neighbor as yourself, then it doesn't matter how much somebody tells you that they love God. If you never see them loving their neighbor, then they've missed the first half as well. Yeah, yeah. Now, what about the person listening who was listening on Sunday um, or maybe someone has forwarded them a link to the talk or they're listening today to the podcast and they've heard the call from this passage that maybe they haven't really been following Jesus as closely as they should, perhaps for some time even, and they know in their heart they need to recommit themselves to Jesus. How do they get started? I can't imagine for some it's going to be an easy step to actually take that step across the threshold uh, at church and start to put their life back in order. How do they start that process? 
Yeah, it, it can be intimidating or difficult. Mm. You'll hear people say phrases like, you know, oh, they could never darken the door of the church again and this, yeah. this kind of thing, as if they're beyond the pale, that God could not receive them back. And mm. so there's a, there's a, a self-loathing there perhaps or um, a lack of appreciation of God's character Mm. and how much he does desire to bring the one yeah. back, as we were talking about just a moment ago. Mm. So I think it all starts with knowing God's character. You mm. know, a lot of times in the Old Testament we get this summary statement of God's character. Uh, one example is Psalm 86.15 where it says, you know, God is gracious and compassionate, mm. slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness. Mm. Now, that's a refrain that we hear multiple times in the Old Testament. And that's really the heart of God's character there. And so until we're really assured that that's who God is, then it makes us it makes it hard for people to approach him or to mm. repent and turn back and to feel assured that they'll be received by God again. Yeah. So that's the first thing to hear, that God is loving and compassionate. He'll always receive us and forgive us. Um, and that's why uh, if we understand his character, then what David says, for example, in Psalm 51, mm. after he sins so badly and the prophet Nathan confronts him he yeah. says well a broken and a contrite heart you will not despise mm. that is because of god's character because he is compassionate and gracious if somebody yeah. shows true repentance and turns back to god asks for forgiveness and god will always receive them mm. you know, he's always interested in the prodigal um yeah. and so the church should be also um you know the church is not righteous people that have it all together yeah yeah. Um, you know, if if somebody in the church is receiving somebody from outside or a Christian that's drifted away from things and is coming back, they're just one beggar offering another mm. beggar where to find bread, yeah. you know, as that phrase goes. And so we have to see ourselves as on a level footing, uh, mm. all sinners, all saved by grace. Yeah. Um, God has shown compassion on all of us. Yeah. Yeah, so there's a real part to play for us in the church to be welcoming the person back in and I guess not asking the question like oh where you been you've been away for so long and but, just like good to see you again <laughs> exactly we can be yeah. welcoming and, and those stories will probably come out in time when yeah. they're ready to share and um, you know maybe with um, somebody they trust or maybe in a home group if they reconnect in that way yeah yeah we don't need all of what has happened we, yeah. we just need to show God's love yeah. in, in the first instance yeah now in the last part of the um the passage we looked at on Sunday, Jesus is probably commending the widow uh, and her giving, but I don't think it's explicit um, that he's commending her. And I guess one argument as a staff team we're talking maybe you know, in giving her last money um, into the contribution at the temple, she's now completely destitute and actually she's becoming even more of a burden um, on the church. Oh, on the the community there, but her motive is definitely the only positive thing uh, that Jesus is picking up in this exchange. What is explicit though is that the system that was in place is woefully corrupt. So how can we be sure that we are being both generous and cheerful in our giving? But how can we be sure that we're not being stingy and keeping too much? For ourselves, I think one of your comments in the sermon was, "It's not about what you give; it's what you keep. It's about what, how much you keep." Now, I don't want to go into sort of the idea of like tithing and how much you have to give, ten percent, and all the other those discussions. But how do we make sure that our motives are right in things like giving, serving, and all of that? Yeah, it's a big question and one that I think has um, felt thorny to people in the last <laughs> few decades. Um, mm. 
perhaps because they've seen corruption, perhaps like mm. what was happening in Jesus' day, yeah. uh, there's a doubt um, about the church's integrity or the leadership's integrity at a particular place mm. and therefore, you know, giving of money to them and the, yeah, the messiness of some prosperity teaching in some circles and so on. So mm. all of these things can make um, talking about giving it all to the church um, a difficult topic for some. Mm. Uh, I guess what I want to say is that it's not some separate topic that's kind of a worldly thing, but it actually, like everything else in the New Testament, flows out of our understanding of the gospel. Mm. And so the starting point for thinking about this, it's absolutely about our motives or heart toward God, as you mentioned, and that has to spring from our understanding of God's love for us in Christ. Mm. So gospel motivation is key. And for that to happen, we need to keep reminding ourselves of our spiritual riches in Christ. So, mm. you know, Paul will say in 2 Corinthians 8 that um, Jesus became poor so that through his poverty we might become rich. Mm. Speaking about our spiritual riches in Christ. Yeah. So because Christ laid down his life, paid for our sin, we've been blessed in so many ways. Mm. Ephesians 1.3, we have every spiritual blessing in Christ mm. uh, through him. And so... That is what motivates me to give, not because of um, a program or because some leader asks or whatever it is. It, it's between me and God, and it's mm. part of my worship of God that I want to respond to his goodness. Everything I have is actually his. Mm. It's not mine. Yeah. And so I don't see myself as owner of my money or my house or anything that I have. I'm just a steward for the mm. brief time I'm on earth. And I want to use what he has given me yeah. for his work. And in response to the gospel, I want to see other people hear the gospel. Yeah. So I want to support mission work. I want to support my local church. These things flow out of my love for the gospel and what God has done for me. So, mm. you know, rich generosity, it stems from grasping God's grace, and it should overflow cheerfully. It shouldn't mm. be anything that's forced. I, I actually need to see my giving as a privilege. I yeah. want to be able to partner with God in him rescuing people and bringing them into his kingdom. Yeah. And in some small way, you know, I can be part of that in partnership mm. with God. That's that's just wonderful. Yeah. Now, in our book of the term, we're looking at Jesus' gentle and lowly character. But here I think he's anything but gentle in the way he's addressing the religious leaders. Uh, he's very stinging in his judgment um, of these people who should be leading God's people uh, in holiness, uh, but are leading them essentially in the the opposite direction. And yet, Jesus still seems to be holding back from, like, total judgment on them. It feels like Jesus is still, through his condemnation of them, is giving the leaders time to repent. Is this right, or... Are we reading that correctly, or am I reading that? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I spoke really strongly on this point, saying mm. that, you know, in a sense, Jesus is saying, you hypocrites that are going to hell. Mm. Um, perhaps I could have said, clarified that a bit more <laughs> by saying, you, you hypocrites in danger of going to yeah. hell. Um, I think while ever there's life, there's hope. You mm. know, until a person breathes their last, there is always the opportunity for repentance and receiving God's salvation. Um, and so we must remember that Jesus is speaking to his disciples about them. He's not even directly rebuking mm. the teachers of the law. Yeah. He doesn't say to them, you're hypocrites, repent now. Uh, he says to his disciples, beware of these people. Mm. Notice their lifestyle, yeah. which is completely empty and a show. And you don't want to be like this because you put yourself in great danger. God's going to judge these people severely if they continue mm. in this pattern. You also, so it's not just about them, it's for everyone that would call Jesus Lord. Yeah. Okay, well, what does it mean to follow him? Yeah. I don't want to be 
pretending in any sense. I have to be genuinely responding to Jesus. Hmm. And so I have to keep taking stock of where I'm at. I need to keep reflecting on, you know, the calls, the warnings within Scripture because I don't want to be a hypocrite. You know, hmm. I want to learn from these failures that Jesus is pointing to. Yeah. Now, lastly, Rod, having had four weeks now thinking about Jesus' kingship and authority, it feels a bit like Joshua's moment right before he died when he addressed Israel, choose this day whom you will serve. So there seems to be both a pastoral call to the lost sheep and also an urgent call uh, for others not to delay. How would you like to see those... um, you know, who are listening to the sermon or maybe following along online afterwards, how would you like to see us at WBC responding to King Jesus? Yeah, well, like in my sermon, I guess if somebody has not yet received Jesus as Lord, obviously mm. that's the first step. You know, it's to come to a realisation of God's love for them in sending Jesus to pay for their debt before God, their sin is dealt with, and they can start afresh with God through faith in Jesus alone. That's step one. But for the majority of people on a Sunday or listening to this uh, podcast, they're going to be believers, perhaps mm. believers of you know, many years at this point. Mm. And so for them, it's, it's looking at, well, what does it mean for me to live with Jesus as Lord day by day, week by week? Mm. And I've got to realize that working at submitting my life to Christ is a lifelong project. Yeah. Um, as I mentioned a couple of times on Sunday, Jesus is Lord, three small words, but massive mm. implications. Yeah. So. Um, this is getting into the whole area, obviously, of sanctification. Uh, it's a big word. It just means our ongoing you know, growth in godliness where we're mm. becoming more like Jesus over time as we actually are enabled by God's Spirit to put his word into practice mm. and to live the way he's calling us to. So we need to uh, realize that we're on this long journey, that we're going to progressively grow. And therefore, I, I need to, there's three things that are going to help me in particular. Um, Firstly, I need the Holy Spirit, as I was mm. pointing out at the end of the talk, yeah. um, that you know we can't do this in our own strength. We really need God's work in us to change, and without the Spirit's work. And part of us, our responsibility then is, as um, the Apostle Paul says in Galatians 5.25, keep in step with the Spirit. Mm. So we need to be heeding God's voice to respond to his word and not going mm. against that which we know to be true from Scripture. Yeah, We need to keep in step. Um, and therefore, we need God's word. We, we won't know that we're out of step if we're not reading it yeah. and seeing the mirror of God's word and saying, this is how I am to live. Yeah. So I need to keep reading God's word, keep hearing it preach week by week. But I also need to pray. Like I can do mm. those things. I can know I have the spirit. I've got God's word. And I'm still struggling, as we all will, yeah. um, to live that out. This side of heaven, we're not going to reach perfection. Mm. So I need to keep praying and asking for God to help me in this, help yeah. me to understand his word better help me to keep in step with the Spirit better. Um, And God's people can assist us in that as well. They can keep spurring us on and saying, hey, I've noticed this or that. Uh, You know, you're trying to address this area in your life or Mm. whatever it might be. Mm. Uh, We've got to have people that are around us that are trusted friends that can speak into our life and apply God's Word to us as well. And we've got to be willing to hear that and respond. Yeah. I guess encouragement if we're trying to do this on our own strength is to maybe go back and have a listen to the community series and just be reminded that it's so much easier when you're surrounded by brothers and sisters in Christ. 
Absolutely. You know, we're in this lifelong process of putting off the old sinful nature, putting mm. on the new fruit of the Spirit. Yeah. Um, but it's a, you know, we, we use this mm. term a lot today in our world about it takes a village to raise a child. Yeah. Well, you know, it takes a, a church community to mature a Christian, yeah. I think is our equivalent. Yeah. And we've really got to see the helpfulness of those around us that yeah. doing it by ourselves alone is just so difficult. Yeah. Thanks very much, Rod, for your time today in your sermon on Sunday and I guess we'll see you again next week in the podcast look I'm <laughs> promising I won't be here for the next three Ken and Mark are going to take over uh-huh. you'll have to wait for that free cuppa then yep <laughs> thank you Rod for your time thank you everyone for listening and to Mike again for recording each Sunday if you've got any questions or comments after the, the service uh, feel free to send them through to me in the church office uh, so I can incorporate them into the podcast And remember, Jesus is Lord. Three simple words are with huge implications. And through the power of God, the Holy Spirit, we can submit to and love our King. This has been a podcast of the Wollongong Baptist Church. You can listen to past sermons and deeper podcasts and also find information about our Sunday services on our website at wollongongbaptist.org. 